Welcome to Lake Mount Worship Center, connecting you to the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ. We hope that you are blessed and inspired by today's message. We're going to jump into the Word of God this morning, continuing in our series on the spirit of revival. From our text in Luke chapter 1, looking at the anointing that was on John the Baptist and recognizing that forerunning anointing needs to be on the church, as was on John the Baptist to make way and call the people to make way for the coming of the Lord in his generation. So we need to make way and hear the word of the Lord to make way for the coming of the Lord in our generation. I got a confession to make. I watched the news the other day for the first time in a few years. I'm glad you laughed. I, I, I've struggled over, you know, this isn't whatever, just, I guess it's just my opinion. I've struggled at times to, you know, when you're trying to get the news, sometimes you're not just getting the information, but you're getting an editorial on how to process the information, not just telling you what's happening, but like, feel this way about what's happening. So, um, story one, a spy balloon was over our country that we weren't to be concerned about. There's nothing to see here. Don't worry about that. Story two, the liberal government was wanting to expand assisted suicide to people with mental health problems. And that we should see that as compassion. Nothing to see here, but just the kindness of killing people who don't want to live. Story three, the push to legalize hallucinogenic mushrooms. This is good because everyone is doing it anyways. That was, I didn't make it to the commercial break is what I'm trying to say. I, I, I got that far and I turned off the news and I was sad and angry because our, our country is in trouble because of disobedience to righteous wisdom. Here's righteous wisdom for, from God for each of those stories. Okay. Story one, we should actually enforce the boundaries of a sovereign nation for the same reason that you lock the doors on your car when you leave your phone in it. Like if you locked it, like, okay, that's just wisdom, just, you know, boundaries. Story two, doctors shouldn't call pe kill people and call it medicine or compassion. Here's why, because each person is made in the image of God. And as such, they have inherent value. Human life has inherent value from conception to natural death. It has value because of the image of God. If that is lost, then it's all convenience and cost savings. Story three, legalizing hallucinogenic drugs is a surefire way to make sure that citizenry doesn't care about issue one and two. Okay. So what do we need? We need the spirit of revival to come upon the church. How many can say amen to that? We need the spirit of revival to come on the church. Subsequent to that, we need an awakening in our nation, a spiritual awakening. And I will not apologize for saying that repeatedly, and I will not back down from that as though that is just like some kind of spiritual cop-out. If that sounds like a spiritual cop-out to you, I think that that is evidence of the need of revival and awakening. The fact is it's not a cop-out. God intervening in every generation is the need of every generation. We need the intervention of God. We need disobedience 
to be turned toward the wisdom of the righteous. That's what I'm going to preach to you about today. Go to your Bibles in Luke chapter 1. This is our core text as we've been digging into the spirit of revival and what God spoke to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, in, in declaring what that revivalist mandate would be. Luke chapter 1, verse 13, But the angel said to him, being Zechariah, the priest, having a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, standing in the most holy place, an angel comes and speaks to him. And the angel says, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. We've been digging into this five-fold uh, assignment that is uh, accompanying the spirit of revival in the church. We've looked at from wandering to reunion when backsliders are called back into the presence of God. We've looked at moving from powerlessness to reclaiming our prophetic voice coming in the spirit and the power of Elijah. We've looked at moving from hardness to tenderness. We looked at that last week, the restoration of the family unit. If you've not been tracking with this series, I'd encourage you to go onto our Spotify or YouTube or our church app and just, just get on, on track with us as we're working through this series. We looked at the restoration of the family unit last week. Today we're going to be looking at moving from disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous. Next week we'll look at being un from moving from being unprepared to having a holy expectancy. God wants to move us and move people from disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous. Now, before you can say a hearty amen, you kind of need to know what we're talking about. So I want to give you three key definitions. And if you're taking notes, some of this is going to come kind of in teaching mode and preaching mode. We'll see what happens. I think preaching is when you're talking loud and teaching is when you're talking quiet. So sometimes I preach when I teach. You just never know. I might get wound up. I don't know. We'll see. Okay, so in the original language, th these words, I want you to just get a definition for each of these words. For the disobedient, that literally means unpersuadable. That's disobedience. Unpersuadable. Unteachable. Stubborn. That's, that's what the disobedience is. It's a hardness of the head and the heart. Unteachable. Toward what? Toward the wisdom of the righteous. That word for wisdom here, it's not the typical Greek word sophros, it's a different word that means knowledge and holy love of the will of God. I love that. The wisdom here is to have knowledge and holy love of the will of God. How many would admit, I need more knowledge and love of the holy will of God? Anyone? Alright. We just, we want to grow in that. And then the word righteous is this definition, he whose way of thinking, feeling, and acting is wholly conformed to the will of God. Amen to that. So I want to have a knowledge and holy love of the will of God, and I want my thinking, feeling, and acting to be wholly conformed to God's will. What God wants to do is actually turn the disobedient, the stubborn in heart, the unteachable. He wants to turn those hearts toward 
the wisdom of the righteous, toward an unteachable heart being turned toward a holy love of the will of God and having my thinking, feeling, and acting being conformed to the knowledge of God's will. Psalm 14 verse 1 says that the fool says in his heart there is no God. The fool says in his heart there is no God. This is why we need a burning heart. This is why we're praying as a, as a church in growing with a burning heart. Why? Because it doesn't matter what you say on the outside. The dialogue inside your heart matters most. God looks on the heart. God told us that in His Word. The, the Bible tells us several places in the Word that God looks on the heart. When, at the anointing of uh, David as the king of Israel, God said, don't look on the outside, I'm looking on the heart. God's Word tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that salvation is the result of confessing with our mouth, but believing in our heart that Jesus is Lord. You can confess all you want, but there has to be something that has been converted in the heart toward belief in God. The Word of God tells us that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So our heart condition matters to God. It's possible to speak well about God and about His Word, but if in the heart there is godlessness, then the speech is just chatter. It's just distraction. This is the, 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 the charge that Jesus laid on the Pharisees, this religious group of people who had political, religious power. He said that their spirituality was like the beautiful exterior of a whitewashed tomb. Got flowers and gardens, but inside is death. Inside something used to live, but now it lives no more. Something used to be alive, but now death is buried beneath the decoration of flowery speech. Second Timothy chapter three, verse five says that there are people who will have a form of godliness, but deny God's power. Now I'm just setting the case. This isn't encouraging yet. Okay. Okay. Amen. Like this is just saying there's a need. How many know there's a need for disobedience to be turned toward the wisdom of the righteous? This is what that's, this looks like. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power. The form of godliness, the form that looks like power, the form is preferred to power when the power is doubted. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Doesn't necessarily say it out loud. The Pharisee wouldn't say it out loud. But the way that the Pharisee would live would be in such a way as to have a form that would deny the power of God because there isn't an actual expectation of the power of God to move in one's behalf. This is why we have to guard our hearts with all diligence. Why? Because disappointment can try to creep in and change your theology. Disappointment can come in and try to change your view of God based on uh, unmet expectation. But there is a prophetic anointing that actually turns the heart away from disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous. This is what we need. We don't need just to, to just have a change at a mental level. We need a conversion at a heart level that is fruitful in the, in the thinking and in our speech. We need to have our hearts changed. This is what happened in Elijah's day. All of this is, is context 
from our, our core verses here in Luke chapter 1 uh, that it talks about the spirit and power of Elijah. In Elijah's day, when he called on God in front of a nation that was far from him, he was the lone prophet standing against 400 prophets of Baal. And at that contest, as we've been digging into that for our context, understanding when he called on God and the fire of God fell, the hearts of disobedient people were turned Toward the wisdom of the righteous. It's, a, it's an anointing. This is what happened in Elijah's day. This is what happened in John the Baptist's day. When he preached in a wilderness. And people came into the wilderness to hear him preach. And when they were cut to the heart by what he was saying, they actually stepped forward and allowed him to baptize him, baptize them in the river so that they could actually profess to a saving faith of we know we need a Savior. It's conversion. This is what needs to happen today here in our land. This is what needs to happen all over the world is we need a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. As on the day of Pentecost, we need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh so that disobedience is turned. What am I saying? We don't need better arguments. We don't need to use all caps on our social media posts. We, we don't need to just argue louder. What we need is an anointing that turns hearts. This is what God wants to release even today as this word is preached. God wants to turn hearts toward the wisdom of the righteous. What is the wisdom of the righteous? Great question. Go with me to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. This is going to be our, our text today as we've just set the stage. for What is the wisdom of the righteous? James chapter 3, verse 13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by the deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition... There you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to just write down number one. First thing I want to say to you this morning is that wisdom is demonstrated in lifestyle. This is what James 3 verse 13 says. Who's wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life. By the deeds that come from the humility that comes from wisdom. Wisdom, Jesus said in Matthew eleven nineteen, 19, he said that wisdom is proved right by her actions. It seems that many think that wisdom is a mindset, that wisdom is some skill set that you just, you know, kind of possess attributes that people just say compliments to you like, oh, you're just so wise. And that's, you know, maybe there are times that there are partial expressions of that in things that you say. But according to Jesus, wisdom is proved right by her actions. And here James, writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says that claiming wisdom is like claiming faith. According to James, he says, you have faith, prove it. Right? James is the one, you have faith, show me. James is like the Jerry Maguire of the Bible. Show me the money. 
right? You, you have faith? Show it to me. He says, you have wisdom? Show it to me. If anyone claims to have wisdom, demonstrate it. Show me a good life that literally is not how, you know, a North American would define a good life. When we talk about the good life, right? James is like, you know, you, you claim to have wisdom? Show me your good life. You got wisdom? Like, show me how many cars you got. You know, do you have real gold faucets on your, you know, sinks? Or is it just brass? Like, James is not talking about a good life measured in stuff. He's actually talking about meaning, meaningful wholesomeness in lifestyle. People who know and love the will of God and shape their lifestyle to God's standard. Here's what I want you to get. The wisdom that we're talking about today is living right. You're like, well, I think that's obvious. I don't know that it's obvious. Because I think a lot of us read the Bible and go, I think that, I think that the wisdom of the righteous that we all get is by experiencing forgiveness from sins. That is, here's a theological word for you, that's imputed righteousness. What does that mean? That means that's righteousness that is given to us through faith in Christ. Wave at me if you've given your life to Jesus. He's the Lord of your life. Okay? His righteousness has been imputed onto you. That means that you are cleansed in the sight of God, not through any work of your own. You have been washed and made clean, and you stand before God cleansed because of the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus. That is amazing, and that's not what James is talking about. So before we just kind of go, I already have this. Like, I'm already the most righteously wise person I know. Because I ha I've been cleansed by Jesus. So I'm so wise, it's unbelievable. I mean, I, I send out a tweet and everyone's like, did Jesus just tweet? And then they go, oh wait, no, it was you. I'm not talking about what was imputed to you. What was bestowed upon you. At the moment of salvation. And that's not what James is talking about. That's not what we're concerned with. When we take that filter on everything, what happens is, although we elevate salvation, we almost eliminate, theologically, sanctification. What is sanctification? Sanctification is actually the process of being made more and more like Jesus. Did you know that God's grace is big enough not just to save you, but He can actually transform you? That you can actually live a whole new kind of life because the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, moved inside of you. So now you don't have to struggle like you used to. You mean I don't have any struggles? No, no, no. You can still struggle, but the struggle is actually no longer against the stuff. The struggle is against yourself. I don't know if anybody ever told you that before. But your struggle with sin is the struggle with your submission to the Lordship of Jesus. Like, you can't, like, like, don't be afraid of the devil. Do you know, like, do you know what you can do with the devil? You can do what Jesus did. Just, like, get in the Word. Know the Word. Just know the Word. And live by the word. Oh, you're making it sound like easy. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Like, like so easy a child could get it. Yes. 
Where did I get that idea? Because Jesus said that the kingdom belongs to children. So as soon as we start adding algebra, we're, like, we're, we're messing around with what we shouldn't mess around with. So, so, Pastor Matt, you're saying my struggle with sin is like really a struggle with myself? Yeah. Like I can't even blame the devil? No. No, you can't. Because Jesus disarmed the devil on the cross. Like, oh, there goes all my excuses. Now you're getting it. Now you're getting it. Okay. So the wisdom, I'm not setting aside imputed righteousness. I'm not setting that aside. I'm grateful for that. I'm so grateful for that. It's by that grace that I stand. But there is something that is not just meant to be an aspirational list of, well, some people get to live there, but this is actually the goal of our lives is to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. And that is wisdom demonstrated in lifestyle. If you wrote that down already, maybe just put a little arrow between in and lifestyle and write the word my. Wisdom demonstrated in my lifestyle. My choices. My thinking. My feeling. My acting. Christ's righteousness bestowed on us is a gift. Spoiler alert, it requires no wisdom to acquire that. It's a gift. The wisdom that we seek is a wisdom that is rooted in a godly, in a desire for our behavior to be godly and our desire to honor God. Again, how many here want to honor God in your whole life? Okay? Okay, if you just wave at me, here's the deal. It's possible. Like you, you can, actually. You can honor God in your life. And not just like, oh, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me of my sin. And that honors you. But actually, thank you, Lord, for helping me to live in such a way that things that I used to engage in, now I no longer do. And there's, there's deeds that come from righteousness. That there, there, there are things that I do now that please God. And I'm the one doing them. It's the power of the cross for sanctification for your whole life actually being marked by the wisdom of God. A life that is marked by the fruit of the Holy Spirit in you. That your life could be marked by things like love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, self-control. These things actually can mark your life. Because of the grace of God within you to empower you to live a whole new kind of way. So there is wisdom, righteous wisdom is demonstrated in my lifestyle, in your lifestyle. Choices that I make, ways that I think, ways that I feel. You're like, Pastor Matt, are you telling me to choose what I feel? Yes. I thought my feelings were neutral. Well, they are if you let them. You mean I should choose to feel certain? Yes. What if I don't feel it? That's where faith comes in. Oh, okay. So wisdom being demonstrated in lifestyle. If you want kind of a cheat sheet on how to, you know, accelerate in this, I would advise you to get into the book of Proverbs all the time. 
the original Twitter account. Just God just tweeting wisdom. Just little, you know, 120 characters. Just boom, be like this. I mean, it's, it's not just like advice. It's the way God thinks. So God help me to align my life to how you think. Especially if I disagree. Because if you and God disagree, I know who wins the argument. Okay? Second thing, not only is wisdom demonstrated in lifestyle, number two, if you're taking notes, disobedience is demonstrated in lifestyle. You could put a little arrow between in and lifestyle and write the word my as well. Disobedience is demonstrated in lifestyle as well. Look at verse 14 to 16 again. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Isn't that interesting? That denies the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Disobedience is demonstrated in lifestyle as well. It's marked by bitterness and envy and selfish ambition. That means that there's no way for me to sanctify those things. There's no way for me to go and baptize my bitterness and just be like, I'm, I'm not bitter. I'm just never talking to that person ever again. Because God told me to. No, he didn't. Okay? So bitterness and envy, okay? These, these selfish ambition, these things are the dem demonstration in your lifestyle of a hardened heart. Disobedience is your will hardened in rebellion toward God and His Word. And, and so what we have to admit is unless you're perfectly like Jesus, no show of hands, but unless you're perfectly like Jesus, this would be an area where you could grow. This would be an area where I could grow. Are there areas of my will that are hardened toward what God has for me? Because if there are, it's not God's word that needs to change. And there are no asterisks that I can put in the Bible and go, well, I know that applies to most people, but not this situation. Not this person. Not that, not, not, there's a little asterisk here where I get a little, I'm off the hook on having to be totally Christ-like here. Because if you knew what I knew, you'd want to shoot that person in the face. So praise God for my anger. Okay. Here's, here's the deal. When God is disregarded, then so is his image. Satan wants to destroy God, but he can't. So what does he do? He works to destroy God's image bearers. He works to destroy people. He works to destroy lives. His only aim, Jesus said this, is to steal and kill and destroy you. He wants to kill, see, steal, kill, and destroy human life. So anything that moves in to destroy human life is of the devil. That's just good theology. Everyone could say amen to that. That's the truth. Okay? The wisdom of the righteous is the standard of God for human thriving. John 10.10, 10, Jesus said that the devil comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He says, but I have come that you might have life 
and life to the full. How Jesus describes full life, you can't claim John 10, 10 and be doing it while reading Forbes magazine. You have to be claiming John 10, 10 while you're in the word of God. That life and life to the full is as God defines it, not as the Fortune 500 describe it. We find life to the full by God's definition. So the wisdom of the righteous is the standard of God's, uh, uh, that God has for human thriving. God wants us to have life and life to the full. A life marked by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Disobedience is to turn away from that standard and become a standard unto ourselves. Make up our own rules. And so in this text here, it talks about bitterness and envy and selfish ambition. And it says that where there's bitterness and envy and selfish ambition, that there's disorder and every evil practice. That's, that's pretty comprehensive. Disorder and every evil practice is connected to bitterness, envy, and selfish ambition. So it's not possible. Here's, here's what God's word, here's the wisdom of the righteous, okay? It's not possible for everyone to get their way. That's just, that's a myth. It's not possible for everybody to get their way. Think of it like a four-way stop. It's not called a four-way go. Right? It's a four-way stop. But if I'm bitter, which means I'm harsh, and if I envy, which means I covet others' advantages or success possessions, if I have selfish ambition, which means I'm just putting myself first, okay, if there are four cars coming to an intersection with that attitude, we got trouble. Why? Well, because my harshness is saying, I don't care what anyone else is doing. I'm going. Selfish ambitious is saying, me first. Envy is saying, how come they get to go and I don't get to go? And so what happens is, is if everybody comes to a four-way stop with that attitude, Everyone actually, it is a four-way stop all at once with a collision. That there's actually order into how we have to suspend our own will sometimes and prefer one another. And this is where we're going to get in just a moment is that it's not possible for everyone to get their own way. Look at the next verses. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, everybody say heaven. The wisdom that comes from heaven, everybody say heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. The third point, number three, if you're writing it down. The wisdom of heaven is available on earth. It's actually possible to operate in heavenly wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What's the fear of the Lord? Jesus said this in Matthew 10 verse 28. He said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In the literal Greek, what it means to be afraid is to be afraid. When we sanitize the fear of the Lord and just make it just like, you know, have a lot of respect. The Bible could have said just have a lot of respect. 
But the, but the Bible actually talks about having a holy fear of God. What, what do we mean about a holy fear of God? I mean living with the awareness, according to Jesus, that we should live with the awareness. He said, don't be afraid of people. Don't be afraid of people. All they could do is hurt your body. But actually, be afraid of the one who could throw your body and soul into hell. Now, what would save me from that fear? The salvation of the blood of Jesus. Right? That I'm saved from the wrath of God that I rightly deserve. And that is really hard for people to hear in 2023. The wrath of God is really unpopular. The wrath of God is just like, it's outdated. And it's just, it's not, it's not the right thing to talk about. The, the right thing to talk about is just how Jesus is everybody's BFF. And you can just do whatever you want and everything's all, all okay. But a faithful reading of scripture, a faithful dedication to God's word recognizes that actually God sets a standard for human life and it is Jesus. And so I need the forgiveness of Jesus to be washed and cleansed so that I can stand before God. And then I need the empowerment of the Spirit of God living inside of me to help me to live a lifestyle that has heavenly wisdom in it so that my life actually looks more and more and more like Jesus. And Jesus says that that actually can come from a place where there's holy fear. So like reverence on steroids. Like whatever you need to tell yourself. But the idea that I actually recognize my life does not belong to me anymore. And that it's not optional for me to live obedient to God. If Jesus has saved me, I should act like it. I should live like it. I should think like it. And that should become a part of my thinking, feeling, and acting. So we're supposed to live with a holy reverence for the God of whom we will give an account of our entire lives to. That's what Jesus is saying. We're going to have to give an account for our whole life before God. So this actually puts all of life into perspective. Without this perspective, we can get caught up in pleasing people for a moment rather than pleasing God for eternity. We can get caught up in envy and selfish ambition. We can get caught up in the bitterness of this world around us. And if it's everywhere, we're going to need to be on guard. But I'm here to tell you, it's possible to live with heavenly wisdom expressed in your heart. Wisdom from heaven is wisdom that comes from the eternal perspective of giving an account for our lives to God. This is a practical way for us to actually apply the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let my life reflect heavenly wisdom now. Heavenly wisdom is different than earthly wisdom. We just read it. The word tells us that earthly wisdom, we can't boast in it and try to sanitize it and act like it's wisdom from heaven. We can, we can try, but it doesn't work. The wisdom that comes from God is outlined for us in verse 17. And so here's what I would say to you. It's kind of like a cheat code. How do I apply this? How do I take this message and make it work tomorrow morning, this afternoon? How do I make it work when I'm driving down the road and someone cuts me off? How do I make it work when everyone else is, is lying and I'm telling the truth and it costs me? How do I make it work when everyone else takes the easy way out, but I, I have to stay 
and, and, and endure. I have to work some things out. I have to work on my heart instead of just upgrading, moving on to a whole new friend group or upgrade, move on to a different spouse. or just. How do I work on my stuff? Here's the filter. Verse 17. If you, if you can write it in your Bible, just right next to verse 17, is this phrase, is what, I'm, is what I am doing, colon, is what I am doing, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit. Is it impartial? Is it sincere? That's a high bar. But anything less than that is worldliness and it's incapable of producing a good harvest. The harvest that you want from your life depends on the seed that you sow in your life. And every thought, every word, every action is a seed. Every action and behavior is a seed. So here's a question. What are you sowing? Because I've learned this, you can't rebuke a harvest. So what, what we need is to apply ourselves to wisdom that comes from heaven. Why? Because what God wants to do is turn our hearts toward his word. How many say, I need my heart turned more and more and more to the will of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information on who we are, visit our website at lakemount.ca or download our app for your mobile device. 